What is going on, friends? Thank you for joining us for the New Vision Podcast. We here at New Vision believe that the gospel transforms lives. So we're going to take an opportunity to open up God's word and see what he has to say so that we can take the best next step to become more like Jesus. Hello, and thanks much for joining us today. My name is Greg Freeman, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Vision. Now, today we're going to be continuing in the book of John, and we are going to be in chapter 12, and we'll be reading verses 20 through 36, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible translation, starting at verse 20. Now, some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now let's pause for just a second. It's likely that the Greeks who John's referring to, they weren't tourists, but they were Greeks who worshipped the God of Israel. They had a connection to the God of Israel. They weren't just passing by. Unlike the Jews, though, the Jews who always demanded to see a sign, these Greeks said, we want to see Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But that is why I came to this hour. Now just another quick pause. Jesus says that his soul is troubled, but we need to understand that does not mean that he had doubts. It means that Jesus, the man, fully understood what he was about to undertake. He understood he was going to die a very painful physical death while he was carrying the weight of the sin of the entire world. He was going to be separated from God. In Luke's account, Jesus was praying so anguished in the garden that he sweated blood. But that never kept him from accomplishing his purpose for being on earth to pay that sin debt that no human being can pay. So we need to understand Jesus knew what he was doing even as he was troubled. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Verse 29, the crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Even in this moment, people are divided in how they respond to Jesus. Some of them understood that this voice was from heaven. Others dismissed it. But Jesus is going to set them straight. Verse 30, Jesus responded, This voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Verse 34, then the crowd replied to him, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Jesus answered, the light will be with you only a little while longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of the light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. Now, this uh, is a great section of Scripture, just full of so much uh, foundational theological truth. There's so much we could talk about in this. And in so many ways, in these 16 verses, 
the gospel message is just completely outlined. But as we look at it, I think there are uh, some things that we can uh, find encouraging as we continue to read the scripture and it, and it illuminates us. But then a couple of practical things that we can take away as well. And so one of the things that stands out to me uh, in this section of scripture is in verse 32, where Jesus is referring to himself as being lifted up. In verse 33, John writes, he, Jesus, said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Now, clearly, Jesus is referring to his crucifixion. He also referenced it in John 3.14 and John 8.28 when he would say, the son, when the Son of Man will be lifted up. Now, we know that Jesus was physically lifted onto a cross to die in full view of everyone. But really, there's something else at play here. When we talk about Jesus nowadays, when we talk about Jesus being lifted up, we aren't really talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, are we? We're talking about the glorification of Jesus. We sing high and lifted up as a matter of worship. We're not talking about the crucifixion. We're talking about the glorification. Warren Wearsby writes, The Son of Man was glorified by being crucified. And that's a difficult concept for us to grasp sometimes, and we can only imagine how hard it was for the Jews of the day but the king of earth was glorified by being crucified. Now, another thing that's interesting is verse 23, where Jesus says that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's finally here. Back in John 2, 4, if you remember, Jesus told his mother that his time had not yet come when she was telling him that they were out of wine at the wedding party. He said, woman, my time has not yet come. In chapter 7, as Jesus is traveling to the Festival of Shelters, he told his disciples his time had not yet arrived. And later in chapter 7, John reports that Jesus avoided capture uh, after teaching in the temple because his time had not yet come. And that's a situation that happens again in chapter 8. So we see earlier in the book of John, his time had not yet come. But now, as he's responding to the Greeks, as he's responding to these Gentiles, right, broader than just the Jewish people, Jesus is announcing that his time has come. He's telling us it's time to really start paying attention and that he's about to fulfill his purpose. The third interesting thing uh, from these verses, I think, is that we're seeing more affirmation from Jesus himself that the gospel is for everyone and that the God of Israel is, in fact, the Lord of all and that everyone is welcome. What a great understanding for us today. Now, remember in the context, these Jews uh, who were beginning to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they had an expectation that the Messiah was going to be the king of the Jews. They didn't grasp that he was coming as Savior for the world. He said it, but they didn't get it. In uh, John chapter 10, Jesus told his followers in verse 16, But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. So it's telling that Jesus announces that his time has arrived, and he paints a picture of that sacrifice he's about to make in response to a request from some Greeks. Not from the Jews, but from some Greeks. So reading the scripture, I think, is, is interesting. It, it shows how things tie together, the divine nature of it. But there's some things that we can look at in these scriptures as well, these verses as well, that help us on a daily basis. And one of those is a chance for us to see our role in God's plan and what we're willing to sacrifice to play that role. So let me go back to verses 24 through 26. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, 
there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, this picture of a grain of wheat or a, or a seed is a great one. By by itself, a seed doesn't mean anything. Nobody really wants one, right? I don't know about you, but when I'm eating watermelon, it seems like I'm constantly trying to spit out the seeds, doing everything I can to avoid them. The watermelon's good, but who wants to, to eat a seed? They even market and sell seedless watermelons, which makes me think I'm not alone in that. However, when a seed dies, when it's planted in the earth, it becomes fruitful. Not just with the fruit itself, but it generates other seeds that can be similarly planted and become fruitful. So our goal as believers isn't to avoid dying. We're not going to avoid dying. The goal is to advance the kingdom. Jesus says the one who loves his life will lose it, but the one who is willing to sacrifice his life for God's glory will lose it in this world, but have it for eternity. Now, if we are intentionally planted as a seed, if we are serving God by serving others, if we focus on pleasing Christ through our obedience to him, then we're going to be fruitful. We're going to have a kingdom impact. The question is, how are you going to bring God glory? In this fallen world, bringing God glory uh, often requires suffering and sacrifice. Now, that's a difficult concept for us in this day and age when the message of the world is to do whatever it takes to be comfortable, to be happy, to take care of ourselves and our loved ones. That's the most important thing the world would tell us. But the message of the gospel is different. The message of the gospel is for us to invest our lives in God's kingdom by serving him through serving his people. And the reality is serving usually means suffering and sacrifice. That's just how it is in the fallen world. But if the Son of God had to suffer and sacrifice to accomplish his mission, why would we think that we would be spared that? Why would it be any different for us? Now here again the promise in verse 26. If anyone serves me, again that may take suffering and sacrifice, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Well personally the thought of being honored by God is one of the most exhilarating things I think a person can think about. We can't know when that might happen. It may not occur in this world. It may we may not even recognize what that honor looks like. It'll look very different uh, in heaven than in this world. Something very different from what we have in mind. But the promise is clear. When we serve Jesus, the Father will honor us. And for me, that makes the thought of suffering and sacrifice uh, just a little bit easier to handle. And I hope it does for you too. The second uh, big thing we can take away as we're wrapping up is that we can contemplate on a daily basis how we respond to those difficult situations, those uh, suffering situations. Jesus gives us a model of it. In verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Son of God admits his heart is troubled. Now, as we already mentioned, he wasn't afraid or doubtful. He understood what was ahead of him. He fully understood what was ahead of him, but he also fully understood his purpose, why he was on this earth. Now, we can put ourselves in Jesus' situation. Uh, that's too much of a stretch, but what if we imagine ourselves in a difficult spot of some sort, something that's really hard? Now, Wearsby points out there are only two prayers we can pray in a time of suffering. One of those prayers is, Father, save me. The other prayer is, Father, may your name be glorified. Now, Jesus, back in verse 27, asks that rhetorical question, should I ask God to save me? And, of course, he knows the answer, no. He's praying that Father be glorified. And he, that's the answer he gives. He was focused on the Lord. He was focused on things of heaven, not on things of earth. Now, obviously, we're never going to be Jesus, but we can see him model what we should strive to do, what we should strive to be. We should strive to focus on things of heaven and not be sidetracked by things of earth. 
Now, personally for me, that is so easy to say, but it's so hard to do. Just to be really honest, it's easy to say and hard to do. And Father, save me can be spoken in a way that sounds so much more noble. You could say, Father, save me, but we lift it up as Father, we pray for this person, this family member, this situation, and Lord, we're saying save me from that because really at the end of the day, so many of our prayers are designed to save ourselves or the people we love from suffering. Even if it's self-inflicted, we're trying to protect people from suffering. But Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered because it had a purpose. And if we pray for God to be glorified, if we pray for God to be magnified across the earth, then we're focused on things of heaven. Now, in my opinion, it doesn't have to be an either-or situation, as Wearsby said. I think we can pray, uh, Father, save me. But I think as believers, we do need to prioritize God's will. We need to pray for God's plan, for God's glory over our own preferences. God, if it be your will, save me. That may be a better way to do it. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We need to trust the Lord. And as difficult as it is sometimes as followers of Christ, we need to, and we can, and we should rest in the truth that God's ways are higher than our ways. Thanks so much for listening, and God bless you. Thank you for joining us today for the New Vision Podcast. We hope that you have heard a word from the Lord and that you can better walk today in light of God's word. To find out more information about New Vision, we would love for you to follow us on Instagram at New Vision Life or look us up online at newvisionlife.com. And as always, we look forward to seeing you tomorrow.